Hello, you are listening to the High Performance Nursing Podcast with me, Liam Caswell, where I help clinicians just like you take control of their careers and remove all the things stopping you from achieving your biggest goals. Let's dive in. Hey beautiful peeps, I recently was interviewed by the amazing Beth Montano and I thought I'd share it with you guys because it's just fabulous and we talk all things nursing careers and working beyond the bedside. If you don't follow Beth, make sure you check her out. She's at Autonomic Nurse on Instagram and she's one of the high performance nursing besties. We love Beth and we love all of her work. So enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the next pod of the Autonomic Mind podcast. I have a very special guest here with me today who probably needs no introduction if you follow me, but just in case I have Liam Caswell from High Performance Nursing and I will allow him to give himself a little intro. Thank you so much, Beth. My name is Liam and I've been a nurse for over 12 years now. I grew up in the UK, started my career in the NHS and since then have migrated to Australia and built my career from starting off as a hospital cleaner right up to being a nurse unit manager and backfilling ADON and digital health kind of non-clinical life. That's me in a nutshell. I currently run Liam Caswell Coaching and High Performance Nursing. And we basically, our mission is just to help nurses empower themselves within their life and their careers to achieve what's possible for them. I feel like we're only just starting to scratch the surface as an industry in really seeing the magnitude of options available for people in their careers. So I'm here to help people make it happen. Yes, great. You know, something I've always been meaning to ask, when you're in the UK and you're working, you said, as a cleaner, was that while you were doing your studies or was that beforehand? Yeah, so whilst I was doing my three-year degree, I can resonate with all students listening that always, you know, talk about being super, super busy, doing my 40-hour clinical placement weeks, 12-hour days we did. And then every weekend for about two years, I worked as a cleaner. So I worked Saturday, Sunday in a local community hospital, and I cleaned for about four and a half hours. I served strange, very strange. We cleaned and we served the food. <laughs> so what that out? I'm not sure. So you know, I spent the first few hours cleaning the toilets. <laughs> Very good hand hygiene. <laughs> and I went and then delivered the food. But I loved that job. It was so good. It was probably one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know what? I think any job in a healthcare facility or industry while you're doing your training is actually a really good idea. I was thinking, it's like I also, like I worked as an AIN, it was predominant, I worked first of all in a nursing home when I was doing my bachelor. And I worked as a nursing because I did diversional therapy first, but then, and then I was working in a nursing home and then I moved into an acute hospital. I don't know. And when, so when I started, I felt like I already had a really good baseline. So I didn't have to try and do the, the basics of learning how to manage the showers and the beds and stuff. We already had that. So when I started my RN, it already felt like a step or so ahead. Yeah. Did you find it helped? I totally agree with you. Yeah, for sure. Because for me, I was quite young when I started. So I kind of really knew what I wanted to do when I was like 15, 16. And in Scotland, I actually went to college when I was 15. Not because I'm super smart, just because I'm young and more (laughs) I need to put that in there. And I, you know, so I was doing this work and I was building life experience. I was building connection in the skills in the industry. 
And it's so funny because I qualified as a nurse when I was 19. And a lot of people in my year were like, you've got no life experience. You know, there was a couple of shady peeps in my year. They were like, you've got no life experience. You're not going to do so well. You know, I was really worried about it. But for me, that cleaning work really helped me build rapport with patients, build my confidence in the healthcare setting. And, you know, it hasn't stopped me since. So I think that it was so integral for me in helping the transition into the workforce, for sure. Yeah, I agree. And just a little aside, my parents are both, were both nurses. And, you know, all they had cleaning and the meal servings, that's what they used to do. It was part of, they said, like when they did their training, particularly on the weekends or after hours, it was the nurses that did all the cleaning and every meal was served by nursing staff. I can't quite imagine that, to be honest. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, yeah, times have changed, hey. And like, we literally, you know, we both do buy into the busy narrative and like, we're so busy, we can't do stuff because there's always time to deliver the care that you can deliver, you know, within the confines of your shift. But I don't think that that would be hugely viable <laughs> at no. the moment. No, that's right. I agree. I was talking with somebody about this culture of business, which I think would be another great podcast. We'll put that down to do in the future, just on the nurse mindset of we're so busy. Because you know what? I'm going to come back and ask you about your nursing history as well. But I was just thinking about how, like, whenever, like, I found I was when I was a research nurse, the day before I'd go on annual leave, I would get in my mind, oh my God, I've got so much to do before I leave. And I would, the whole day would be like so sort of hit up. But I didn't have to do anything really more than before. It was just me saying I was busy, me saying I was going to run out of time. And I think people totally take that busyness and say they're busy when they're not actually busy. It's like we're taught to say we're busy. I totally agree. Yeah, I think we are culturally conditioned to run the story. We're too busy. We are busy, and that is factual. But what what does busy mean? You know, busy to you could be very different to busy for me. And we're all different humans. So I think that when it comes to stating that line, you've just got to raise your awareness around like why you're saying it, and do you actually believe it to be true? Because when I was a nurse unit manager, when I worked on the floor, you know, we would be like, we're so busy. And we've got like an hour break, like within the day where maybe at the downtime between two, like during handover, where we weren't busy. And we were sitting at the desk writing our notes. And that isn't overly busy. I don't think that it serves us to keep running that story. I think that we've got to just look at it factually and be like, I'm busy. No, I have four patients and I have eight hours. Like I have six patients, I have eight hours to deliver care. These are all my tasks. And like you say, then from that place, you then create like a better feeling for yourself rather than like that angst and worry and anxiety. What we tell ourselves in our brain, you say this beautifully at the start of the podcast. It's not what happens in the world. It's what happens in your mind. I love that so much. It's very true. Okay. Well, today I had a particular focus in mind of what I wanted to talk about. And it's something that's very dear to both of our heart is the limitless opportunities for nurses beyond the bedside or away from the bedside. I think both of us have known from our time with your coaching and in my academy, etc, that a lot of nurses we're working with are finding a better place for themselves in nursing, which isn't on a rotating shift bedside role. So I thought it'd be quite interesting to hear a bit about because I know you yourself has had several non-bedside roles. And just to give everyone sort of, you know, the titles and how you got into them would be really helpful to people. Yeah, for sure. So I think that when we all start our career, we all have this vision, we've been kind of told or led to believe that we've got to get into the hospital and run with it until we burn out, 
get yeah. misaligned and then fall in a heap. And we're here to tell you that that's not what you have to do. So your first job as a clinician is to explore who you are and that will unlock where you're supposed to be in your career. The more that we raise awareness to ourselves and who we authentically are, the better we can then navigate where we should be going. And for me, I didn't do that until like 10 years into the career. Hence why I burnt out three times. You know, I suffered anxiety, depression, needed therapy, talk about all of that very openly. So there is real consequence in not paying attention to who you are and where you should be. So for me, I started off in MAPU. I did my graduate in MAPU. I didn't get a graduate program because in the UK, they're not a thing. So I just got my first job into a very busy MAPU. And it was sink or swim. <laughs> and I did that for about a year and a half. And then I went into ICU, loved ICU, built my career there, and then moved, migrated with my partner to Australia. And then from that place, I was like, I don't know Australia, it's new. I've never been here. I don't know what the workforce is like. So I did agency for a couple of years, like three years, four years into my career. So I did Canberra? agency across Sydney, actually. Oh, oh, Sydney. Worked all public, private hospitals. Yeah. I did everything from ICU, critical care, HDU to theatres to med surge, all of it, PACU recovery. But I also did some work for some agencies and setting up some education. So that was kind of my first like dip of the toe into like normality around... Yeah. I can like decide when I work, I can yeah. make immense money. The first year that I started working as an agency nurse, I made over a hundred thousand dollars. I worked like, I worked hard, but the money was incredible. So if you're driven and you want to build your income, that's one way to do it. And then I started doing some education work for the agency and we started like getting courses designed and developed for the ACN for accreditation. And I was like, oh, this is nice. I like this Monday to Friday situation. And then my partner got a job in Canberra (laughs) with the government. So we moved to Canberra. And from there, that's really when I stepped into the Monday to Friday non-clinical roles. And at first I moved from ICU and I had all the fear, all the mind drama, all of the imposter syndrome. And my partner at the time was like, just do it. Give yourself the opportunity. Because I was fed up of being ICU. I'd burnt out. And it just wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. So I landed my first job and promotion, by the way, in a non-clinical role. And I think this actually often happens for people. That when they move out of the bedside, they get their first taste of promotion. And because you've already gathered amazing skills, you don't need anything more. you just got to do more of what you've got, but Monday to Friday at a higher pay grade. So... I did ALS teaching for about a year, loved that, like modified early warning school teaching. So really helping people recognize early deterioration in patients and loved it. So, so good. Probably one of my favorite jobs. Had an amazing manager. And here was the really interesting thing, Beth. I had my first manager who was non-clinical. I never worked before that wasn't clinical. So she had a HR background and she was in charge of the learning and development team. And I will hands down say that she's by far been the best manager that I've ever worked with. Do you mention that because nursing, we don't really do any management training? Totally, yeah. That's a missing piece. Like we're amazing clinicians, but then we get promoted and we've now got a budget of 4 million and 50 staff. Yeah. How do you navigate that without the training? And it's so difficult. 
Yeah. So that was my first soiree into non-clinical. And then I did educator, which was non-clinical, clinical. I did yeah. numb. And then I've done some things outside of that, like clinical facilitation, which is removed from the bedside, working for the universities, marking online, making money online. And then of course, I got a job working for a private NGO in Sydney, where I didn't stay very long because I found out very quickly that it wasn't aligned with what I wanted. But that was a very high level national role that would be implementing like an app in digital health, which was totally different. So if there's anything to be learned from my path and your path, it is that where you start doesn't dictate where you end up. And I just think, I just want anybody that's listening to hear that you can create whatever you want in your career, your life. And now, you know, both you and I both work online, you work from home, I work from home, you know, we're working in replacing our income and help having an impact in a non-clinical way. And there are just so many other avenues that you could take your career. Yeah, definitely. I think what people worry about is they're like, I don't even know where to start, which in itself is somewhat similar to that. I'm so busy is people mm-hmm. say, there's just too many options. I can't, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'll just do nothing. If there's someone here that really wants to leave bedside, where would you recommend they start? That's such a good question. I always say that in all kind of avenues in life, a confused brain never makes a decision, right? So like when you indulge, because confusion and overwhelm is indulgent, it's an indulgent behavior that we choose to do to keep ourselves safe. So when we say, oh, there's just too many options, I'm not going to take action. We're literally just caving to what I talk about, which is our primitive brain and our ego brain. And that will never serve you ever, right? Our primitive brain is our fight or flight reactive brain that has one job and one job only to keep you safe. So when you tell yourself that it's too hard, it's in the too hard basket and that you don't know what to do next, you are just indulging in that primitive brain mind drama. And hey, like good news, you're human. (laughs) That's what we're designed to do. But your job as an adult, as a human, is to then be like, hold on, how is it serving me to think that I'm overwhelmed? Yeah. How is it serving me to stay where I am right now? And you've got to start like asking yourself questions and get super curious about what is actually best for you. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, indulging in overwhelm and staying stuck and, you know, think of all of the consequences, like the core of staying where you are right now. How does that weigh up? Are you better pushing through the discomfort and moving forward and taking the next step. Cause that's all you've got to do is take the first step. Yeah. And the first step, there's no right or wrong. It's whatever you think the first step is, you know, is it worth doing that and pushing through it? Of course, I would say yes. Every time, every time. What something that comes up a lot in people like that get in touch with me online is they say they don't want to leave bedside because they don't want to take the pay cut. However, I think you and I have both experienced that leaving the bedside has done the complete opposite. So where do you think this, again, is it just a a mind, I don't know, a learned response we have in nursing that we can't earn any money because I'm not really sure my question is, but do people say the same thing to you saying, I can't leave it because I I don't want to lose my penalties, that sort of. I hear you. Yeah, I hear it all the time as well. And here's the thing, like I was that person. You know, when I first moved to this country and my pay literally quadrupled from the UK, for those that don't know, NHS nursing is 
paid very poorly. And the pay here is are still considered to be good in comparison. Cost of living is higher, but it's still lucrative. So when I first got here, I was kind of, I laugh when I reflect on this now. I was like counting my dollars. I'm like, oh my God, if I get this pay point, if I get this pay point, then I'm going to be on like 80,000, then I'll be on 85 and I'll get, and every promotion, I was like chasing the money. Yeah. And what I've learned looking back is that, I built my, you know, I came to this country, I was making what, like, you know, RN level 1.4. So let's say like 100K during agency work, but let's say in the industry, like 80K or something, 85 with shift allowances, right? In building my career, I built it up to 185K. The last job that I left, my salary was $185,000. And here's the thing. I was no more happy. Yeah. I wasn't happy. I, I wasn't loving the work. So I learned very quick well slowly but quickly in that moment that I've been chasing money when in fact what I needed to chase was what I was actually put on this earth to do yeah and what aligns with me and what plays to my strengths the money is a benefit and it's and you know if you're good at what you do the money will just flow anyway yeah whether you're in academia whether you're in cosmetics whether you're in community nursing like the money will come to you yeah. And there are so, you and I both know this, there's so many ways to make money as a nurse that yeah. do not involve being a clinical nurse. Yeah. Oh. So I would say, I would say you don't, it, it doesn't matter, you know, take yeah. the pay cut and then find another income source because you might now be working Monday to Thursday and you've got a death. Maybe yeah. you want to create an Etsy store. Maybe you want to start a membership. Maybe you want to offer coaching. Maybe you want to take up an agency role somewhere and yeah. supplement your income. Yeah. So many avenues to explore. Yeah. And always, ain't ever. No. And I really like that. And I always like to think of people that say, oh, I don't want to lose the money. And then I think if, okay, so you move from whatever bedside role to non-clinical, there might be some minor, like you lose some of the, the penalties, but then you think about how much more sort of time and energy you'll have. So are you eating out less? Are you like able to eat in more? There's, you're not so tired than everything else. You'll end up, I don't know, I've found like spending less because I'm less tired and I wasn't doing yeah. like mindless online shopping because I was so unhappy. Like, I don't know, I, I found when I moved from where I was into a non-bedside role, I had this huge clarity of mind. So everything else sort of became yeah. you know, clearer anyway. And then in the end, as you and I both said, as we keep progressing through into different non-bedside roles, the pay is just going up and up up i had a huge jump when i in march i got a new job huge pay bump to work from, from home <laughs> where i stay in my pajamas you know it's yeah. but everyone that is always comes up first oh, i really want to leave but i don't want to take the pay cut it's a really yeah like what i would say to those people that are listening is that you know right let's say you lose a bit of money but let's stay where you are right now and you keep the money you maintain the money and the penalties and all of that but what is the net negative cost of all the other things? Like you talked about, you know, your mood. Are you overeating? Are you over drinking? Are you over shopping? Are you buffering with something? You know, I was doing all of those things. So that's a massive negative cost to you. How are your relationships? Do you take it out on your partner when you go home? Do you have time for your kids? Balance that and look at it from a factual standpoint rather than an emotional money. Oh my God, money's going to fix all my problems because it just isn't. And when you do that, you then see that you're very out of whack and out of balance and that the income is not worth the cost to you as an individual yeah no I really agree I think it's such a shame what I wanted also to ask is when you moved from one role to another was it predominantly from you seeking it out 
or how did you get the roles from your network or people came to you? How did it, mm. how did it happen? That's such a good question. So a variety of different ways, actually. And this is what I really help people see is that, you know, applying through Seek or through a hospital website is just one avenue of very yeah. many different avenues that you can take. So predominantly, I would say I applied and I got the job. On a number of occasions, I just went and had a chat with the manager and expressed interest. And then they were like, sure, like we, you know, we like what you have and they offered it. So kind of like behind the scenes kind of offering. Other occasions, literally, I've just been super sneaky. I've been like, hey, I'd love to work in this department, in this role. And keep me in mind if anything comes up. And then the next day, I've got a phone call saying like, hey, actually, we need somebody. Do you yeah. want to come and do a three-month contract? Yeah. Uh, so expressing your interest, networking, looking at who you have in your organization and outside it, friends that maybe work for the uni, you know, get in any way you can. Get on LinkedIn, so many different avenues to land your next job. I think the best one for me was when I was working as an educator and I wanted to do some clinical facilitation work. I'd done it before as an agency, but I wanted a bit of a change. And I just sent my CV to the uni and said, hey, if you're ever hiring for clinical facilitators, let me know. And I got a call that day and a job <laughs> offer to start on the Monday for three months. Yeah. And I did it for three months and it was a great break. I got to rekindle, realign, and then, you know, really look at what I wanted. So yeah. so many ways you can I actually think I would love to see some, let's say this as kindly as possible, some better nurses doing facilitation. The, some of the stories I hear about some facilitators are just the sort of wrong people are drawn to it. So I think the people always think, oh, I don't have enough experience for that, or I didn't even know we could, how to get into it, how, how to do that. Everyone, I think, has ideas about where they want to go, but the step of how to get there, their saying is, is too hard and they're not actioning. So people yeah. just need to know yeah. that you just have to, yeah, start asking, start researching just something. Yeah. The biggest thing that I see people struggle with is that they fail ahead of time. They do something that yes. I call failing ahead of time. Yes, great. And they stop themselves from even considering oh, that it could yeah. be a possibility. Yeah. And that like breaks my heart, my little Scottish heart, because I just go... Yeah. Why are you choosing to fail ahead of time? Give yeah. yourself a chance and let the employer be the decision maker. Here's yeah. the thing, right? If you apply as a you know, well-rounded candidate, you've got a great application. Maybe you don't meet all the criteria. Maybe you don't have your master's in nursing. Maybe you don't have your cert for in training and assessment, but you apply and you show them that you're keen and interested. You never know what might happen. Imagine they give you the opportunity and then they pay for your master's. Yeah. And then they pay for you to start for. You just don't know what is possible. So do not choose to fail ahead of time. Go yeah. with that. There's so much people are so worried about failure. And I think you and I have done a lot of personal development work on knowing how good failure is. And that, mm. you know, if you just view it as information gathering, not as a personal failure, that they, you sort of take the power away from yourself. And so that way, then you'll give yourself a go because you're not going to have that unrealistic expectation of you know, perfection all the time. Yeah. I think we like ramp up failure in our minds because here's the thing, like who has ever said to you, Beth, 
mm. or to me like you're a failure mm. <laughs> like you are a complete failure. i've said it to myself <laughs> it's us right it's always the internal narrative so therefore we get to decide like is that actually true and factual and nine times out of ten it isn't and we're just blowing it out of the water again that ego brain is like you failed you failed yeah. and what I'm kind of learning is through putting myself in lots of situations where I can potentially fail and doing that intentionally is that the only reason that we don't want to experience failure is because of the feeling that it creates for us. Like the only reason we don't want to take that action is because we worry that we might feel silly or embarrassed or like resentful or, you know, scared or frightened. And like, I'd like to challenge people and just be like, hey, what if you could take the risk take that leap, embrace the failure and experience the silliness or the embarrassment and still get the amazing result at the end or not. Like yeah. who cares? Yeah, It's literally just what you're making the failure mean in your brain. I like to remind people that there's literally no way for you to get to your goal unless you invite in all of the failure. Yeah. Another thing I also think people feel like, and I did a post on it recently about if they sort of leave bedside, they're going to lose all their clinical skills or and you know and then they won't be able to go back what would you say to people worried about their clinical skills leaving the bedside oh this is a good I one know. it comes up so much and so much. you know i can see where this comes from but i always ask this question first yeah if you're planning to leave the bedside and you no longer want to work clinical why does it matter <laughs> if you lose your clinical yeah. skills yeah. It's a serious question, right? Yeah. Why does it actually matter? Because here's the thing. We talked about this this week or last week, I think, in voice notes. Ben and I send voice notes back yeah. and forth all the time. I don't think that I was never destined to stay a bedside nurse, ever. Yeah. Looking back now, I can see that although I was a great clinical nurse and I loved my job and I loved my patients and my team, that wasn't the path for me. That's not how I'm wired. I always had this drive to have a bigger impact. So right now, I would say that I've, I mean, I'm ICU background, but I haven't worked in ICU for like four and a half, five years. Mm. I've definitely lost ICU skills, but is it keeping me up at night? No, because it's not in my future. No. I think people worry that the bedside needs to come back into the future at some point because maybe yeah. they've seen somebody leave and then come back. But here's the thing for those people. If you leave and you go back, just you're a beginner again. Just learn and it will come back like driving a car. Yeah. You know? I spent two months in Europe and did, I drove once in two months. And I was like, oh my God, and I got back to Sydney. Did I even have to think about it? No, because you trained your brain to be able to do it just yeah. by default. And it's yeah. the same with nursing. It's amazing. When I talk to people about, you know, perhaps non-bedside, they immediately have on the tip of their tongue all these reasons why they can't do it. It's really sad. I know, I mean, you talk about sort of the primitive brain and it always goes to sort of the negative to keep you safe. But it is so prevalent yeah. in nursing where I honestly think bedside nursing is the potential cure for so much of the burnout that we're seeing and there are so many jobs that don't even have like nursing in the title that people won't even consider because they're worried sort of somewhat about their sort of nurse identity and I think that's a bit of an issue as well people are so caught up in a real nurse works at the bedside yeah. That's another real issue for me is that I've been coaching people, like talking to them about, for example, I recommended someone consider something called a, a CRA. So it's working in clinical research, but from the other side, from the pharma, checking the data. And they were like, mm -hmm. oh, it's not a nursing role. And then I was like, we've just spoken mm -hmm. about how all these reasons why you weren't enjoying your nursing role 
but you're not willing to sort of let it go at the same time. Yeah. So that the real nurse works at the bedside mentality is still very strong. I think that people run that narrative like the busy narrative because it's just so deeply ingrained. Yeah. And we haven't practiced believing or even heard it often enough that there are so many other options out there. You know, people drop into our DMs every day, you know, you and I, and we chat about it a lot. And they're like, oh my God, I didn't realize this was an option. Of course it is. It's your nursing registration and you get to do whatever the hell you want with that. You know, there are nurses that are doing amazing work that are non-nursing roles. And why do you need to be in a nursing role? I would question anybody, and this was me for such a long time, that identifies as a nurse. And this is where I think our job is to raise people's awareness to the fact that nursing is not your identity. It's what you've assumed is your identity because you actually don't know who you authentically are at your core, right? So when you start doing coaching work and you start exploring who you are, that's when you unlock and see, well, actually, I'm like super creative. Like for me, I'm so creative. And as a nurse unit manager, there was no creativity in my role. Like I could be creative about how I designed the quality improvement board or how I did the roster, but that was the level of creativity for me. So now I can see that a bedside job, a nursing role, should I go back into the industry would need to be creatively focused. And that might be in a very, very different non-clinical role. And that's okay. We are not our profession. You are not a nurse. You are Beth, you are Liam, you are whoever's listening. And that's who you are. And that's your job. Your job in life is just to explore who you are and to become the best version of yourself, not to be like the optimal best nurse. (laughs) No, I agree. It's so amazing. There's just this constant, all these reasons why it can't work instead of turning around and looking the other way of this is what I could get from leaving the bedside. You know, they Mm. focus on looking the other way. Another question I just thought of that I wanted to ask is if you think people, when they become a nurse, do you think they need to do a certain amount of say, I don't know, like up to like one, two or three years clinical before they leave and try to pursue non-bedside? Or do you think it's possible Mm. to, because there are, from my experience, I've started seeing more and more non-bedside roles, but that do ask for a set amount of clinical experience. It's not all of them. So what do you feel about a certain amount of clinical experience? Great question. I think take it with a pinch of salt. I like to say, push the boundaries and challenge the norm. I think that, you know, these numbers are just plucked out of thin air, having been on recruitment panels, having, you know, put out job adverts myself. They're just plucked out of thin air by somebody that writes the job ad. No one checks it. No one likes it. Typically a nurse as well. It's not in a process. It's not in a policy. It is literally just BS. (laughs) It's just there. So you get to decide, do you want to challenge that? Do you want to put yourself out there anyway? Most people that I work with, I'm like, oh, they say you need four years and you've got two. apply anyway. Call them, go above and beyond the RN4 that's applying. And they're just applying because they're an RN4 and they've got the four years, but they haven't called the manager. They haven't networked. They haven't elevated their application. I can tell you right now, as a manager, I would take the RN2 every day. And I've just worked with somebody who is an RN. She's finishing her graduate year. She's an RN, just becoming an RN 1.2 in Canberra. And she's just landed a CNS level two position in geriatrics. And she is going to nail it. She is, you know, she's got the life experience. She's got the, the previous experience before she came in and she's hungry for it. So why shouldn't she apply? 
Yeah. We need those people. We don't need people that have waited for seven years to get that, you know, six years and, you know, 12 months and then seven years clocks over and they're burnt out, misaligned, fed up. And then all of a sudden they get the job just by default. It is insanity. What's well, another, yeah, another reason people are putting forward is, oh, I don't have the clinical experience to leave the bedside. <laughs> it's just amazing. Just the yeah. excuse after excuse that we both, I think, but you know, I look at these things like, and I think to myself as a coach, I'm like, that is what I call like a thought error. Like it's a primitive brain thought, right? A primitive brain just loves to indulge in that stuff and wants to keep you safe. So it of course throws up 60,000 thoughts a day from your lived experience. They don't just come out of nowhere, but from what you've seen, what you've experienced up until this point in your life. Mm-hmm. So therefore, of course, it's going to try and convince you that you are not good enough, but your job everybody listening is to just raise your awareness and be like, well, what if I am good enough? And just start questioning those thoughts because they are not factual and they're not true. We all have them and they're not true. I also think that if you keep yourself small, sort of you're going to stay small because it's the people that are not perhaps even right for the roles, but they're applying and they're, they're getting the jobs just because the right person isn't applying. So they're giving the role to the wrong person, I feel, sometimes mm-hmm. just because they've applied. So it's all these good people that you and I speak to, which are somewhat like their confidence is low or they don't believe it's possible for them, just aren't applying. I talk about this a lot with like, it's yeah. imposter syndrome. And we all suffer from it. And I think that if you're applying for a role and you feel like an imposter, you need to go for this role and you need to go all in 100%. Yeah. You know, if you don't feel like an imposter when you start a new job, you transition, you're thinking of exploring a new job, you're starting a nursing business, I'm worried. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. part of the process and it's normal and you should just invite all of it in and don't make it mean anything about your capabilities. I agree, that's brilliant. Mm. Mm. Okay, well, we've gone over the time I set, but I don't, honestly, I don't even mind. But I thought maybe, do you want to tell everybody about what you do in ways they could work with you and find you, etc.? Yes, for sure. So thank you for this chat. Love the questions, by the way. And I love your work, Beth. And you know that because we chat every day pretty much in the DMs. We bug each other in the DMs. Love it. So where can you find us? We're at High Performance Nursing on Insta. We're pretty much everywhere. We've got the High Performance Nursing podcast. We've got, I think, nearly 70 episodes in there of goodness and Beth has starred in those episodes so please come along check them up and have a listen there and yeah i mean you know we work with all nurses midwives to help them get into the next role so you know come and have a chat to us or just come and ask us a question and we're always here to help we want to help you be the best version of yourself and yeah watch this space got a few exciting things coming like podcast and hopefully getting into the youtube space so i'm putting it out there into the universe so that it happens And despite all of the fear and the worry and the risk of failure, I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) One thing I really, a specific program of yours that I really like is the graduate launch program. Is that it? Mm. Graduate career launch program. Yes. For any grads listening or grads to be in the future, it is certainly something to look into. It's a very comprehensive and successful program. I love everything you include in that. So strongly recommend to anyone that needs that in their future. Thank you so much. Now, I'm not sure if there's anything else you'd like to say before we wrap up. <laughs> no, but if, Jonah, to everybody listening, keep supporting Beth because our work is amazing. And it's exciting to see where we're both headed in entrepreneurship journeys and our careers. And to people listening, you know, if you have a little inkling that you need to have a change, you've got to reach out to Beth and have a chat and just make it happen. Commit to investing in yourself. You will never, ever regret 
spending money on you and helping you get into the right role for you in your career. It's invaluable. And the return on investment is tenfold than what you'll ever, ever pay. I agree. Right. <laughs> Okie dokie. All right. Well, I might wrap this up, but thank you everybody for listening and we will see you next week. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast episode, please take a wee minute to leave a review. It would mean the absolute world to me. If you are ready to start taking action in your career and you need some support, why wait? Come and join my private Facebook community. The link is in the show notes below. Within the community, we take what we discuss in this podcast and we put it into action. Currently, I am looking for nurses who are ready to stop playing small and invest in themselves to create the life and the career they want to live. If that sounds like you, then please get in touch. Until next time, thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay forever curious, my nursing friends.